Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of the day, and we pray that we continually strive to do your will, to follow your truth, to never deviate from your truth and your word. Father, we thank you for those here and for those listening afar. We pray that your blessings be upon all those here and those listening. We also pray that you'd be with those that are not here today traveling and also those who may not be feeling well today, that you'd be with them and be their Yabba And Father, we thank you and we give you all praise for all that you do. In the name of your Son, Yahshua the Messiah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. I'd like to extend the special greetings to Elder Bob and, and to Debbie Whirl. Hopefully they're watching somewhere in the Pennsylvania. It's good to be back. It is, uh, we were blessed to uh, be off last, last week, and my wife and I celebrated our 19th year anniversary, so it's certainly a blessing to uh, get away and some time with her away from the kids. Where today, I want to talk about what happens when we compromise. You know, as believers, we know that Yahweh, our Father in heaven, that he abhors compromise or when we deviate from his word. Compromise in many ways is no different from sin, or in some ways it is just another sin. According to 1 John 3, 4, it says sin is the transgression or the breaking of the law. We heard that in the Bible study today. Where compromise, again, is a lot like sin. It's doing something different from what Yahweh says within his word. The fact is, we're all guilty of compromise, whether we know it or not. Now, for those who don't know it, we know that Yahweh is in a wink at their, at their ignorance. He's a mighty one of love and compassion. and certainly not going to hold us accountable for that which we don't know. But for those who do know, or we know that Yahweh is going to hold them accountable, that they will be judged based on what they did and the compromises they made, the neglect they showed. You know, again, on some level, I believe we're all guilty of compromise. For some of us, it may be something very small, while others, it may be something more serious. As human beings we sometimes find ourselves justifying what we know to be wrong. We find ourselves making concessions, what we know not to be right. So why do we compromise? What is the reason? What is the purpose? What is the motivation? What, what drives us to compromise? Well, you know, there's not one given reason, but I believe the motivation boils down to either convenience, personal gain, or maybe fear of loss. We often compromise. Matter of fact, we're going to see examples of all those in this message now, to show this point, we're going to review several examples from Scripture of compromise, what Yahweh says about this, and how he views us. You know, remember as we do this also that Yahweh doesn't change. The same Father in heaven we worship today is the same Father in heaven that Abraham worshipped. The same Father in heaven that Yahshua the Messiah worshipped is the same Father in heaven we worship today. He doesn't change. Now, when speaking about compromise and sin, there's probably no better place to begin than the beginning, and that is with Adam and Eve. So let's begin there. Genesis 3, begin starting at verse 1. It says the serpent was more subtle. You see, he was very deceptive. It says, And any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath Elohim said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst, or the middle of the garden, Elohim hath said, you shall not eat of, of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So you see, they were not only allowed not to eat the fruit, but to even touch this tree. It goes on to say, and the serpent said unto the woman, 
you shall surely not die. For Elohim knows, doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as mighty ones, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant in the eyes to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, what was the discussion here between Adam and, or between Eve and the serpent? Now, we know the serpent, by the way, that symbolizes Satan, the devil. Some actually say, as a side note, that it wasn't a serpent, a nekash, a, a whisperer, hiss, uh, so maybe some sort of angelic being. Whatever it was, we see here that Satan, the serpent, is trying to deceive, deceive Eve. Reeve told the serpent that she and Adam could eat from any of the trees except for one, and that was the tree of knowledge. And he said that if we eat thereof, that we're going to die. Now, the serpent here responds and says, number one, you're not going to die. And number two, when you do this, you're going to be as a mighty one. You're going to know good from evil. You know, this sounds like a promise we hear even today. Now, this first statement here was a lie. We know that because a process of death began when they ate of the fruit. The process of death began. But what about Satan's statement here about the knowledge of good and evil? Well, that was true, right, to a point. It wasn't a complete lie. When they partook of the fruit, they immediately knew knowledge. They knew good from evil. They knew that they were undressed. You know, I've heard ministers compare Satan's deceptions to rat poison. This was an analogy probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I like the analogy, though. He held up a box, and it's 99% food, basically, and 1% poison. And Satan works much the same way. You see, it's not the 99% truth that we're to be concerned with. It's that 1% lie that we find from the evil one. You know, this is why specifics matter. You know, even though the thing may seem small to us, and we've all been there, you know, we'll look at something or do something. Yeah, it's not a, not a real big deal. But that's not always the way Yahweh looks at it. The impact is not always small. You know, for example, we see here that Adam and Eve partook of a piece of fruit. And yet, we find that the impact was huge. You know, we can use this forbidden fruit as a comparison for other compromises, I believe. We might believe working one day, one Sabbath a year might be justifiable, might be okay based on what we find within the word. But listen, for Yahweh, this is a big deal. Yahweh says that we are to hallow his Sabbaths. Yahweh says that we are to respect his Sabbaths. Yahweh says that we are to observe his Sabbaths as holy. The fact is, so often do we, these so-called small compromises, give way to more serious issues. Where today people think nothing of living together out of wedlock, or even divorcing their spouse. You know, there's a reason why Yahweh condemns fornication within the word. And such a thought today is old school. People laugh, they mock. You know, why would you ever even concern yourself with someone committing fornication? Everybody does that. Or not everybody does, and not everybody should. 
Yahweh condemns fornication. He also says in Malachi that he hates divorce. You see, Yahweh wants us to stay together within our marriages. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to show what it is to live a holy marriage. You see, marriage is the basic building block of society. When that foundation is broken or replaced, as we're seeing in this nation, it leads to many problems, including broken homes, poverty, and other issues. You know, this morning, I was wondering, you know, what is the poverty level for kids, children? So like anybody does, I went to Google, and I don't know what I typed, but Google verified that 15 million children live under the poverty level today. That's 21% of the, that demographic. 15% of all children live in poverty or under the poverty level. You know, much of the reason, I believe, is a result of sin. Whether people are engaging in fornication, having kids they should not have, not being married, not having the support system they should have. And there's statistics to support these notions. Now, getting back to what we find here, Adam and Eve could have chosen to leave the tree of knowledge alone, but they could not resist. They could not resist the uh, temptation. So what was the impact of this compromise? Number one, as we all know, their eyes were opened. They understood good from bad. They understood truth from error. But we also know that the process of death began. We also know that they were cursed, and they were removed from the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine you're in paradise, you make one mistake, and you're removed from that place? So how were they cursed? Well, Adam was cursed with thorns and thistles. From that point on, his work would be hard, no more easy, tilling the ground full of thorns and thistles. Eve, she was cursed with pain of childbirth. You know what's sad is that we continue, as a human race, we continue to deal with these issues today. The curse of Adam and Eve, we continue to suffer with today. You see, the nature and impact of sin is often prolonged. Many people, they don't realize this. They don't consider, they don't weigh the cost of sin. You know, so many people believe that when they sin, that they're impacting only themselves. So that's not true. Seldom. Seldom is sin ever only impacting the person that committed the sin. You know, as we know from the word, sin is a way of a permeating beyond the initial sin. And there's so many examples we can look to for that. You know, oftentimes a person's sins impacts others even when non-intentional. You know, for example, divorce in single-parent homes can often create multi-generational problems for their children and grandchildren. It's statistically proven that if you come from a divorced home that you yourself are more likely to divorce. And that's not, again, condemning those who are in that situation, but it's a statistical fact that when we do these things, that, that we give we give the view that they are okay. And then again, our children or grandchildren will continue in that pattern. Whereas Yahweh's people, we need to realize what the standard is. And we need to continue within that standard. And we see a, another example of compromise in Leviticus 10. 10, 1 through 3, and also 8 through 10. It says, And Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of their, them his censer and put fire therein. And put incense thereon and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that Yahweh spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near or nigh me. 
and before other people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So you see, Yahweh here shows that we as believers must, we must show honor to him. We must show respect to him. He is holy, we are not. And Yahweh spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy son with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. There should be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may put difference. So you see, this is one of the callings. This is one of the things we must do as believers. We must put a difference between the holy and unholy and the, between the unclean and the clean. So we must show a distinction. We must make a separation. We must show that we are different from the world. Why? Because Yahweh requires that of us. Now keep in mind that before this passage, Yahweh commanded against strange fire in his worship. And that's the thing. These sons of Aaron, they knew this. In Exodus 19, or 30, verse 9, Yahweh commanded there against offering, quote, strange incense. So knowing this, why do you suppose Nadab and Abihu took it upon themselves to offer this strange fire? Why do you believe these, what motivated this action? Number one, based on the mention of strong drink, they may have been under the influence. We don't know that, but that's certainly a possibility. Number two, and most importantly, they obviously had no respect for Yahweh's word. Because certainly they would know what would happen if they were drinking. They would also know what would happen if they offered this strange fire. So we see here what happens when we dishonor Yahweh's word, when we compromise the word of our Father in heaven. It says here that Yahweh devoured them with fire. Now the word devour comes from the Hebrew call, primitive root. That means to eat, but it also means to burn up or consume You see, Yahweh consumed the sons of Aaron for this transgression. Now think about this sin. They simply offered fire that was ceremonially not allowed. There was no murder. There was no adultery committed. And yet they still lost their lives. Why? Why such a harsh punishment for simply offering fire that was not prescribed based on his worship? based on his word. Remember one, it was connected to worship. And that's so important for our Father in heaven. You know, people, they don't realize the impact. They don't realize how important it is that we worship in spirit and truth, that we worship as Yahweh says to worship. We can't be compromising, making concessions outside of that worship. He doesn't work that way. And if you don't believe me, we'll see example after example after example today showing how serious he takes his worship. Number two... These men were ministers. And for that reason, they received, I believe, the heavier condemnation. You know, we know what the word says about ministers. James says that. James says, don't let there be many ministers among you, because he says, they will receive the heavier judgment, the heavier condemnation. And number three, Yahweh's word matters. Even with those things we might consider small. And that's an important concept to understand, that Yahweh's word matters, even with those things that, consider, that, that many would consider insignificant. And this is why we here at Wyram try to uphold right worship without deviating from the right or to the left. You know, for example, maintaining the holiness and sanctity of the Sabbath is important to us. It's important that we honor Yahweh during his Sabbath day. Now, we see another example of compromise from a king, King Saul, first king of Israel, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8 through 14. So here's what it says in this passage. It says, And he tarried seven days 
And they were at war, by the way, with the Philistines. According to the set time that Samuel had appointed, the Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and a peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering. Behold, Samuel came. And Saul went up to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattering from me, and that thou comest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves against us in Migmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto Yahweh. I forced myself, therefore. Now, I always kind of like to stop here. I forced myself. Now, if this isn't an excuse, I'm not sure what is. I forced myself. I made myself sin against your word, is what he's saying. I forced myself and offered a burnt offering, and Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of Yahweh Elohim, which he commanded thee. For now would Yahweh have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall, be, shall not continue. Yahweh hath sought a man after his own heart. And Yahweh hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which Yahweh commanded thee. So what did Saul do wrong here? What was his infraction? Where instead of waiting for Samuel to arrive to offer the burnt offering, he took it upon himself to do it. In other words, he offered the burnt offering when he should not have. So again, but, but what was so wrong, though, with this? I mean, you know, consider what this man was going through. Only those men ordained to the office of the ministry was able to perform these sacrifices. Saul knew that. Saul knew that. Now, again, before we condemn Saul, let's consider his situation. Number one, he was at war with the Philistines. They were knocking at the door. He was at war with the Philistines, with this superpower. Number two, he had already waited for the days for Samuel to arrive. No Samuel. So he waited there patiently all those days, waiting for Samuel to arrive and no Samuel. Number three, his army was becoming nervous. He was afraid that they were ready to break away. So what does a man do? What does a king do? Does he allow the Philistines to come and conquer the Israelites? Where he explains all this to Samuel and, again, says that he forced himself to offer the burnt offering. He had no choice. So obviously, Saul knew what he did here was wrong, but he felt that the circumstances justified what he did. The circumstances justified him offering this offering when he knew that it wasn't his place to do. Now, what was the penalty for Saul's compromise? What, what, what was the penalty? Well, the kingdom, it says, was torn from him, and that it would be given to a man after his own heart, Yahweh's own heart. Now, we know that was King David. Now, in addition to defiling the, the burnt offering and doing this offering, which he should not have, what else was Saul guilty of here? What was, what was the other infraction? Where he allowed a fear and a lack of faith to willfully break Yahweh's commandments. You know, the sad reality is many of us have probably done far worse under a lot less stress than Saul had here. Again, put yourself in Saul's place. Imagine you're, 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 you have your troops, and they're becoming nervous, and they're afraid. And all they want is a blessing from Yahweh. But the man who's going to do the blessing, he's nowhere to be found. What do you do? Again, I think we've probably done far worse under a lot less. 
This is why it's important that we stand in faith, even in times of trouble and tribulation. In fact, our faith is most important in times of hardship. I don't think we realize that sometimes. You know, life isn't always easy. And I, you know, if we're any age at all, we know that life is not always easy. We've all had our struggles, whether medical or something, that we've gone through. But, you know, the hardest thing sometimes to do is to stand on principle when facing opposition. But as believers, that's precisely what we must do. We must stand on principle when facing opposition, no matter what it is. Because, again, Yahweh doesn't allow for compromise. Yahweh doesn't allow us to bend the rules. Yahweh's worship is critical that we follow as we find within the word. Now, we have another example from another king of Israel, and this is Jeroboam. But we know that this guy fell really short. We can read about this man's compromise beginning in 1 Kings 12, verse 25. There it says, uh, Then Jeroboam built a Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt there and in, and went out from thence and built a Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if this people go not up to sacrifice in the house of Yahweh Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their sovereign or to their king, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So based on what we find here, what was the motivation for Jeroboam's compromise? And we haven't read about the compromise yet, but what's the motivation here? What is he thinking? What's his concern? Or very simply put, like Saul, he was afraid. He was afraid of what he would lose. He was afraid of losing the people. He was afraid of losing his position. And in the end, he was afraid of losing his life. Let me give you some background as to what led up to this point. And it's really remarkable when we understand the, the history, what led up to this point. So Solomon, we can read about this in 1 Kings 11. We're not going to turn there, but you make note of that. 1 Kings 11. There we read that Solomon, when he was old, that he married all these foreign wives, and they turned his heart away from Yahweh, that his heart was not perfect as it was with his father David. When this happened, he turned, worshiping other mighty ones. And because of this sin, because of this transgression, Yahweh told Solomon that he he was going to rip the kingdom from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And that's precisely what happened. Because of Solomon's sin, because of Solomon's rebellion, Yahweh took the kingdom away from Rehoboam and gave it to Jeroboam, except for Judah and Benjamin. Those remained with the southern tribes, or the the southern tribe of Israel, Judah, as it became known. So through Solomon, we see an example of how one man's sin can, can destroy a nation. So you see, sin does not always stay with the sinner. Sin has repercussions. Sin has major impact in many cases. Now, Jeroboam realized here that if the people that would go back to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, that they might then return and stay and commit to Rehoboam. Because they, he understood that's Jerusalem. That's where worship must occur. That's where sacrifices must occur. So how did he prevent this from happening? What did he do to ensure his own self self-welfare. Verse 28 goes on to say, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two golden calves 
of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So again, what do we see there? Convenience. You see, he was using convenience to to get Israel to compromise. Convenience. says, don't do that. It's too far. Behold, the mighty ones of Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. You see these mighty ones, these golden calves, they represented Yahweh. A lot of people don't pick up on that. You notice he says, these are the ones who brought you up out of Egypt. You see, he's confusing worship. And he set the one in Bethel, which was in the south, and the other he put in Dan, which was in the north. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan, and he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. So now he's tampering with the priests. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even the month which he had devised in his own heart. Notice that, that he had devised in his own heart. You see, he knew that this was not of Yahweh. He knew that this was something of his own doing. And that's always very dangerous for us as believers to do something from our own heart. You know, every so often I hear people say things like, or Yahweh spoke to me, Yahweh told me, or this feels right. Oh, I don't care what, I really don't care. You know, what does the word say? And if the word doesn't mesh with what you're telling me, then Yahweh never spoke to you. Or Yahweh's not tugging upon that heart. You see, it must conform to his word. Because I understand, ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. You know, we see that Jeroboam here did the unthinkable. He made two golden calves, placed one in Bethel, which is in the south, and then he put the other one in Dan. Matter of fact, there's a picture here on the slide of the altar. I've I've had the uh, blessing to be there twice, actually, the city of Dan, up all the way in the north. He also changed the timing of worship by moving the Feast of Tabernacles from the 7th to the 8th month. He knew this wasn't right. So to prevent the people from going back to Jeroboam, we see here that Jeroboam changed Yahweh's worship. And you know, if you do a study, by the way, of, of Israel as a nation, and this is from Jeroboam on, Israel never recovered from the sins of Jeroboam. You know, we can look at Israel, Judah, I should say, and, and we can see some good kings in the history of Judah. Or you don't see that in Israel. They're all bad kings. In many cases, it says the sins of Jeroboam. It talks about other kings. It says they followed in the sins of Jeroboam. You see, he set a pattern. And they followed that pattern until they were taken away into Assyria. That is what happens when we rebel and compromise worship. You know what's amazing, though, is that we still find this being done today. For 2,000 years, the church has compromised worship. And you really look at the motivation. You look at all these debates and all these controversies and all these times that they've compromised. And most often, the reason is, is growth in numbers. You know, I'll give, you, give, a, give a good example. Xmas. You know, the reason the church adopted Xmas was to bring in the pagans. It was nothing more than that. They wanted to bring in more numbers. You know, it's hard for mankind to remove self and to simply follow 
Yahweh, as he commands it. It really is. Now, before we, though, place all the focus or, or blame on the church, I believe that even we here are susceptible to this compromise. I don't believe anybody is, is, is unable to pursue this path if, if allowed. You know, just because we call on Yahweh's name and observe the Sabbath, it doesn't mean that we're not capable of, of deviating from our Father's word. I've seen it. This message of changing Yahweh's word for convenience or personal gain is applicable to us as it was to them of old. You see, it doesn't change because we all have the same ability to forsake Yahweh's word. And we should never do that. Now, beyond idols, we find here that he also made priests the lowest of the people. You know, when it comes to the qualifications of ministry, we find some pretty high standards within the word. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, I'm not going to turn there, but said that a bishop or an elder must be blameless or above reproach. Those who minister before Yahweh in the assembly should be the cream of the crop. They should be. That doesn't mean they're perfect. Believe me, I know. But it means that they're striving to do what's right. And it means that they do everything they can to be an example to others. You know, the fact is one of the worst things we can do is to compromise leadership, as Jeroboam did here. But he knew that to lower the standard, he knew that to compromise, he knew that to make the concessions that he desired, that the one thing he had to do was change the guard, change the leadership. You know, this compromise will not only negatively impact the person, but also the body of believers. As goes the leadership, so goes the assembly. You know, for this reason... We must ensure that, that our worship and those who minister in the assembly meet those qualifications. And that's something we take very serious here, to ensure that we are striving. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. But it does mean that we're striving to do us right. And it's mean, it means that we're striving to set the standards that we find within the word because most aren't. Many are not. Now, in 2 Samuel 6, verse 3, we see another example of, of a man being punished. Now, in this case, I will say that the infraction here was not fully defiant. It wasn't really defiant at all. So 2 Samuel 6, 3 through 8, this is an example many of us are familiar with. This is, and they set the ark of Elohim upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Eo, the sons of Anadab, drave the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Anadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of Elohim, and Ahu went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played there before Yahweh, and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even of, on harps and psalm trees and timbrels, even cornets and cymbals. And when they came to Nacor's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of Elohim, and he t- took hold of it. He grabbed it, for the ox shook it. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and Elohim smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of Elohim, and David was displeased because Yahweh had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perazuzah to this day. So we see here that even even David wasn't happy with Yahweh on that day. He thought Yahweh went too far with what he did, but we find here what happened. 
So we see here that Yahweh killed Uzzah for what reason? For holding on or touching the Ark of the Covenant. Now why did he, he touch the Ark? What was the reason for this? Where his intentions were not malicious or defiant. What he was doing was he was trying to help. He was trying to stabilize the ark. The ox slipped. The ark stumbled, moved, and he was simply trying to stabilize the ark of the covenant. And for that reason, Yahweh took his life. Yahweh commanded that the ark be moved in one way. So how was the ark to be transported? Here's an example Number one, as you can see here on the photo, there's no cart. Number two, it had to be carried on poles as a king would. And number three, the poles were then carried by the priests. Even though David had a heart after Yahweh's own, we see here that he made one fatal mistake. Well, he made more than one, but he made one fatal mistake here. Instead of moving the ark as he knew that he should, he took a shortcut. He left the ark on a cart. You know, like David, the vast majority of believers would probably see nothing wrong with this. What's the big deal? What does it matter? What, you know, what, what's the difference, whether we carry it on poles or put it in an ark or, or a cart? Why should we be concerned with that? You know, we may not have an issue with it, but we see here that Yahweh had an issue with it. Yahweh had a major issue with it. And from this and other examples, it should be very obvious that Yahweh cares about getting his worship right. It's not a small or trivial thing. You know, this is why compromise matters. You know, as a nation, we first compromised on divorce in this nation. Then we compromised on gay marriage. Now we're compromising on transgender. What's next? Pedophilia? Bestiality? You know, where do we go from here? It seems like nobody wants to honor the Bible. Again, that's old and archaic. Why would we ever do that? If we do, we're a racist because everything you do is a racist anymore. You know, this is why it's important that we follow our Father's word without deviating to the right or left. And it doesn't matter what society thinks. You know, I don't care what people think. I really don't. And as time goes on, that is only going to become worse because as time goes on in this nation, we are going to go further and further into immorality. I am convinced of that. Unless something happens, unless there's an awakening of some sort, I don't see that happening, though. I think in many ways the people of this nation have gone too far. Now, some may make the argument that we must change with the times. Well, this is okay with certain things. And again, there's nothing wrong with changing how we do things. Maybe, certain things, but it's not okay when talking about biblical morality. When we're talking about Yahweh's word, when we're talking about his worship, when we're talking about what he defines as right and wrong, that is not something we can change. You know, Malachi 3 verse 6 says that Yahweh doesn't change. That's such an important concept to understand. Yahweh doesn't change. You know, if Yahweh doesn't change, neither does his word. Neither does his word. You know, while some uh, churches are now trying to justify gay marriage, the fact is, Yahweh says, this is an abomination. That's what he says. That's what the word says. And, you know, a lot of people, they would just, just, you know, condemn you for such a statement. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination. 
And believe me when I say, there is no justifying an abomination. There's, no, there's nothing we can do to, to communicate and suggest to Yahweh any different. It is an abomination. Now, we also find examples of compromise in the New Testament. I'm going to look at one, an example in Acts 5, verse 1. This is with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't have this on the slide, so you can either listen or, or uh, turn there with me. But it's uh, Acts 5, and talking about this couple here. So Acts 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, so, th- so they kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being privily to it, so she was aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? You see, they lied to the Holy Spirit because they lied to Yahweh. That is why they lied to the Holy Spirit. While as it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto Elohim, unto Yahweh. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the spirit, the ruach, the pneuma, the life. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of Yahweh? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the spirit. And the young men came and found her dead, and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the assembly, and upon as many as heard these things." What do we see here in this story? We see two people by the names of Ananias and Sapphira who had committed on giving proceeds from a sale of a property to the assembly. And then they partially reneged on their commitment. You see, they gave some. Because Peter said, was this the amount? And, and of course, you know, the wife says, absolutely, this, this is it. But it wasn't it. What was the impact of this compromise? For just as Yahweh took the lives of Nadab and Abihu, we find here the same fate for these two people. After this, it says that great fear fell upon the assembly. You know, sometimes the fear of Yahweh is not a bad thing. I really think we could use a lot more fear of Yahweh in this nation. I really do. You know, Proverbs says that the fear of Yahweh is both the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So many people, and by the way, some people will say, Well, that just simply means that we're to reverence Yahweh, that we're to show respect to Yahweh. No, it doesn't. When it says that we are to fear Yahweh, we are to fear him. Why do you think Paul said that we're to work out our own salvation and fear and trembling? What does trembling convey to you? Does trembling convey to you just simple respect? Yeah, he's a good guy. No, 
To fear Yahweh is to fear him, is to, 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 be, to, to have trepidation for the one we worship. In this case, the people witnessed the consequences of compromising and lying to the Holy Spirit. And again, because of that, fear fell upon those who saw this. You know, when it comes to compromise, as we see here, money is often at the root of the issue, I've noticed. Have you ever noticed that? You know, so much compromise involves money, involves wealth. It's amazing what people will do for wealth, for money, the concessions that people will make. You know, I believe this is why so many, so few people tithe, even within the assembly, as we're commanded to do within the word. Yahweh, in the book of Malachi, accused Israel of, of robbing him when they withheld their tithes and offerings. So that's what the, we see in the Bible. You know, I'm a strong believer in tithing. I'm a strong believer that that belongs to Yahweh. The Bible says that 10% of our earnings are holy and belong to the one we worship. And just to really emphasize that point, it doesn't say, it doesn't say uh, 2%, 5% to give whatever we want to give. No, it says 10%. You know, for those who might be knowingly withholding the tithe, I, I would encourage you to reconsider. I really would because I do think it's important. It's part of worship. It's just like Nadab, it's just like Nadab and Abihu offering strange fire. It's just like Uzzah putting his hand on the ark. It's like what we find here with, with uh, these, uh, this couple. I want to close now with something Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. And again, this is something most of us, a passage we're, we're familiar with. This is, be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Messiah with Belial? Belial, by the way, is a euphemism here for Satan the devil. So what concord? What, what does Messiah and Satan have in common? Or what part hath he that believes with an infidel or and what agreement hath the temple of Elohim with idols? For you are the temple of the living Elohim. So you see, we, we represent the temples, those immersed in Yahshua's name. It says that Elohim has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith Yahweh, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says Yahweh Almighty. You know, in this passage, we find that we must, as believers, make a separation. Paul asks here, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? He goes on to say, what concord has Messiah with Belial? Again, Belial being a euphemism for Satan the devil. You tell me, what, what does the Messiah have in common with Satan? What does Yahshua have in common with the evil one? Well, the answer is Nothing. You see, there's, there's a contrast. There's a difference. In these cases, we find a contrast between what is holy and unholy, what is clean and unclean, as we saw in the example of Nadab and Abihu. Now, how does this passage follow our message on compromise? Well, it's real simple. To show a righteous separation, we must never compromise Yahweh's word. That's the key. To never compromise. If we want to stay, uh, stay in good graces, if we want to stay on the side that Yahweh is pleased with, we must show a separation. We must show a distinction. This means that we're to honor the Sabbath. This means that we're to honor the feast days, including when Yahweh appointed the feast days. Now, beyond worship, this also means that we're not participating in immorality. 
that we're not engaging in things like fornication, adultery, and other forms of, of sin. Our Father in heaven has high standards. He expects his people to abide by those standards. That's the simple truth. You know, we've seen example after example today showing, illustrating the seriousness, the gravity of doing it Yahweh's way. And what happens when we deviate from that truth? What happens when we forsake his word? This is why compromise does not compute as a believer Messiah. The bottom line, we will not be blessed if we willfully and deliberately compromise his word. And again, Yahweh doesn't change. The examples that we've seen today are as applicable to us now as they were then. Some people will say, well, that was the Old Testament. That was when we were worshiping that, that vindictive mighty one. No, Yahweh doesn't change, and neither does his son, Yahshua. And Yahshua is a mere image of his father. What Yahweh believes, so does his son. You know, we've seen many, many examples, again, of compromise. Nadab and Abihu, Uzzah, Saul and Jeroboam, Ananias and Sapphira, and all these examples we see and we saw the displeasure that Yahweh has for compromise. You know, our Father in heaven is certainly a mighty one of love and compassion, and we know that, especially for those who don't know. And that's one thing I want to really communicate before I end here, because we know that Yahweh is a mighty one of compassion. But for those who know better, for those who understand the truth, that's different. That's different. One of my favorite passages is um, Acts 17.30. It says there that Yahweh winks at our ignorance, but then commands all men everywhere to repent. In other words, when we don't know something, he winks at our ignorance. He, he shows compassion. He shows love. He shows understanding as a father would his children, right? But once we know something, we're held accountable to that standard. Now, for those who remain faithful to Yahweh without a compromise, we find here the promise they are given. It says here that they will be called sons and daughters of the Most High. You know, here recently I gave a message on, on the resurrection and, and, and how awesome the resurrection is going to be. We're going to be changed from, from flesh to spirit. We're going to be changed from weakness to power. And it's going to be a really awesome time, just something that is hard to even put into words. But here, not only will we be resurrected, but it says here that we're going to be sons and daughters of the Most High. We are literally going to have Yahweh as our Father in Heaven and, and Yahshua's within that family. We will be adopted into Yahweh's family. And we will know and be with him forever. You know, believe me when I say that there's not a greater promise in the word. And that's one reason why I believe it's so important that we as believers understand this message of compromise. That we understand this message of doing it Yahweh's way. You know, Proverbs, I didn't include this in the message. But in Proverbs it says, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. There's a lot of thoughts and a lot of... A lot of um, opinions out there, but the only opinion and the only thought that really counts is the thought of the one we worship. Nothing else matters. My opinion doesn't matter. Alan's opinion doesn't matter. No opinions matter. The only thing that matters is what Yahweh says within his word. So as believers in the Messiah pray that we would never deliberately compromise what we know to be right and that we would always follow our Father in him because, believe me, it's going to be worth it. 
And it's going to be a great thing to be found faithful when Yahshua comes.